Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Something Something Podcast. My name is Eric Kasloff, and I'm not going to say this next part without giggling because of what was said before the show. (laughs) And with me, as always, is Larry Sands. Party on, Larry. Party on, Eric. Party on. Yeah. Yeah. We need to do something special for the Halloween episode. Either I need to fly down to Texas or you need to fly down to Jersey and we'll do a video episode where we'll dress up like Wayne and Garth and do the whole episode like that. That would be okay. How about this? How about you come to Texas and then I'll go to Jersey and then oh wait, never mind. It'd just be flip flop. Never mind. Never mind. That would just be like futile. We should do that. That would be good. Okay, who would be Wayne? Who would be Garth? Don't answer that. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Johnny Carson. I'm sorry. Hey, you're the Ed McMahon (laughs) to my Johnny Carson, dude. And I told you all the stuff Ed McMahon did. Um, Publishers Clearing House, freaking Star Search. What did Johnny Carson do? What did Johnny Carson do? You know, other than be the greatest talk show host in the history of television. Other this than is, that, nothing, Larry. Nothing. This is the shortest show in the history of the podcast. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> oh, hey, Larry, I got some cool updates to talk about. Um, yes. I am still waiting on these submissions for Hillsborough Road to come in. The script, that should be any day now by the time this goes up. And if you go to the my YouTube channel and right here on Anchor, there is the radio commercial for Hillsborough Road where mm. I took like um, commercial, where you remember in the 80s they would have people talking about movies like outside of the theater? Oh, yeah. I took a bunch of those, cut it, and made it look like people were talking about Hillsborough Road. Nice. Nice. Okay, so. There's a video version of it on my YouTube and Instagram and an audio version of it right here on um, the podcast. And, you know, on Spotify, um, Google Play, all the things we're on. And, and public radio. Um, and so, yeah. so what you're saying really is once they're, once everybody's done with this show, they can go and, and listen to the commercial. Exactly. It's only nice. like 14 seconds. So it should be, it shouldn't be a chore. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> you never know in this day and age, yeah, right? Man. Everybody loses attention in five seconds. I'm sorry. So you're what? saying, yeah, right, Sorry, exactly. <laughs> so you're saying you have you have uh, '80s hair, right? A commercial with '80s hair people, right? Uh, like no, the big no poofy mullets. hair. That's what upset me. There are no mullets. I'll show you the video afterward. Okay. Cool. Cool. So everybody got to go check that out. And don't forget, everybody, everybody, we are on Spotify. Add us to your playlist. Uh, and be sure to follow us on Instagram, Something Something Podcast. Yeah, Gavin, so, the intern, is really yep. doing a great job with Spotify, with the yeah. Instagram. And we will have him on the show. It's just his fish tribute band, Aquarium, is still doing a bunch of shows. And we really want you guys to meet Gavin because he is amazing. And he is super cool, super cool. And yeah, I'll just leave it. And he, he's, 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 
he's making his money, right? Exactly. Even though yeah. he's an intern, yeah. he's, he, he's getting, we're getting his, our money's worth out of Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you're trying to say? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, Eric, we are very lucky. Um, we've had, uh, a couple, couple weeks in a row, uh, actually for, um, some filmmakers. We're getting back our, our stomping ground. Uh, but fear not people fear not. We've got some authors coming up, some really good authors. Um, but tonight we have, and actually he's like a super cool, uh, guess. And, um, uh, he actually walks the walk and he talks the talk, um, Amen. with his, um, creativity and the things that he's doing. Um, so this is going to be a great inspirational show. Uh, so without further ado, let's introduce Christopher. Hey, Christopher. Hey, Christopher. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, Eric and Larry. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, um, uh, uh for full disclosure, everybody last week, um, Eric had Chewy, uh, in his room just in case he made like noises or little doggy barks. So uh, full disclosure, Christopher, where are you right now at this very minute? I am in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, Alpine, West Texas. And so I have to apologize ahead of time as well because there are trains that frequent every 30 minutes or so. And so we have a, a loud background noise. I apologize. Hey, like I said, man, that is just production value for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So as soon as you know it's come and just go, hey, guys, hang on one quick second and just hold the phone to the uh, – to to the train and that'll be just <laughs> that now filmmakers the filmmaker tell me you thought about recording that train track sound just to use it on a project because i know <laughs> i did <laughs> you know i was actually thinking about using it for a moment when i give a really bad answer and saying oh hey hold on guys there's a train coming <laughs> no i've recorded the train multiple times in several instances for various projects uh Mostly documentaries I've done out in West Texas, but one that I'm also prepping for that we shot in Austin recently. Okay, before we get in deep into stuff, again, I'm from Jersey. I've always, I've, I've been to Texas once. Guys, what is the difference between Texas and West Texas? <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's a good question. Um, hey, go ahead, Christopher. Uh, go ahead and try, try to take that one. <laughs> a lot, actually. Well, we def uh, West Texans, true West Texans, define West Texas as west of the Pecos River. Now, a lot of people up in the Panhandle will say that they're West Texan. That's not true. Um, west Texans are unique in that we are a people of wide open skies and desolate beauty. We're, we're pretty slow paced. Most of us are, at least. And we look everyone in the eye and tell the truth for the, for the most part. <laughs> Now, did you grow up in West Texas? I did. I was born and raised in Alpine um, before I, I, I traveled around a bit, but I grew up out here in the Big Bend National Park region and then Alpine. And so my town is about 6,000 people. It's quite small. And it's my near Marfa. Goodness, that is a small town. <laughs> yeah. Marfa, the Marfa Lights, right? And uh, Big Bend. Yeah. Yep. yep. And yeah. home of the, the largest installation of minimalist art in the world by Donald Judd because of the light out here. 
Wow. Nice. See, there's stuff. Look, Texas is so giant. You know, when when we go from, because I'm in San Antonio right now, and when we go from uh, uh, San Antonio to L.A., half the trip is through Texas. And then the and then the other quarter is through West Texas. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so I'm telling you, it's like so, it's like a twenty hours, and it's like ten hours to get through Texas. Yeah, it's, people definitely operate at a, a different pace here because the nearest airport's three hour drive. <laughs> Very true. Wow. Very true. So, when did the filmmaking bug hit you? And who are some of your favorite Who were your favorite directors growing up? Oh man, it's always the, the million dollar question. Uh, first, when did the bug hit me? You know, I think I have to give my dad credit because when we were, when I was a little kid, we used to make these science experiment videos in his garage outside. He had this <laughs> kind of this wacky, crazy dome shaped garage outside. And we would, we would stay up late at night and we would, you know, blow things up and, and put on these little shows that he would film with his super eight camera. And that's kind of where I started, uh, engaging with film and, and filmmaking, uh, was with my, my pops at a very young age. And then of course he gifted me cameras growing up. And, and being from West Texas and, you know, hailed from a small town, there isn't a whole lot going on. You you know, you either play sports or you're getting in trouble (laughs) Um, or you play video games maybe. But otherwise, you know, a lot of my free time was spent watching films. Uh, And and again, I I hate to be that person that references Star Wars, but I loved Star Wars as a kid growing up. You know, I wanted to be a Jedi. You're the 10th or what about the 100th person we've had on the show who's said that so, and you're in good company. (laughs) Right, but besides us, absolutely. Absolutely. So is is that just as like a fantasy, you know, this this otherworldly thing that really got my bug going. Then of course my father insisted on showing me uh, films like Monty Python on the Holy Grail, which is utterly hilarious. Um, And then uh, other, actually, like, kind of for for how young I was, I probably shouldn't have been showed some of the films that I was, but uh, some of Hitchcock's, like, Rear Window. I, I love, love, love that film. And then as I kind of matured as a filmmaker and, and was experimenting more with film, I just, I became infatuated with filmmakers like the Coen brothers. Mm, okay. uh, no for Old Men, for example. I, I love, love, love that film. If I had to choose one, I would choose two, the Coen brothers. <laughs> um, so they, they were also kind of a huge inspiration as I, I was maturing in my teens growing up watching films that were set in, in my area or elsewhere. Uh, but I love, love, love No Country for Old Men. Um, the, the list could, could go on, but in the documentary space, I, I happened upon at, a, at, a, at about high school, I, I watched Hearts of Darkness. Okay, okay. And I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's about the, the making of Apocalypse Now. I think that's must viewing for any filmmaker. Agreed. Because it, for me, it showed me, wow, that's what it means to be a filmmaker, a director, writer, producer, whatever you wish to be in the filmmaking arena. But that's what, you know, he, the, the links that he went to make that film are undeniably amazing. It's just audacious, the, the links that, that he went to. 
So I guess that's, that's a couple references that I would, I would link, but, uh, <laughs> without berating you guys with too many more. I mean, of course, Woody Allen and his comedy and <laughs> John. Another one of my favorites, Woody Allen. Well, he's kind of like a prerequisite for me because of where I grew up. And, you know, you were saying you saw Hitchcock at a young age. When I was seven, my family let me watch Scarface. So, <laughs> <laughs> the the Palma Scarface, I might add, not the original. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Oh man! <laughs> yes. Incredible. That's well, awesome. I, I actually so. <laughs> Film is actually a big reason why I, I ended up out in California, but not in the most traditional sense that you would imagine, but rather because I saw a film by Peter Jackson called Lord of the Rings. Okay. And so, so in a circuitous path, I decided I needed to go to New Zealand and backpack the regions that they shot in that film. <laughs> so now, is this one they put up the tourist things where you could visit the Shire and stuff like that? Correct, but I actually avoided that. I, I just found out where they shot like the Mordor scenes and all the kind oh. of areas that didn't have the tours that you could go and backpack and hike. And so when I finished high school, I took a year off before going to college and took all of my books on film and took them with me backpacking for about six months in New Zealand and Australia, primarily because of the films of Peter Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Now, do you That's go cool. the deep cuts with him? Like, are you into Meet the Feebles, stuff like that? Oh, yeah. And the extended awesome. versions of The Lord of the Rings. You know, we have a party every once in a while where I'll sit through all 20-something hours of it. <laughs> Whoa, man. That is, that, is, that is fandom. I saw Fellowship six times in theater, Tooth Hours six times in theater, Return of the King only five times. I wussed out on that one. <laughs> oh man well you're, you're up there with me then i feel like we could we could hang <laughs> with the peter jackson oh, wait. wait you guys are talking about the books right you mean there's movies <laughs> uh, i read the book like a half a time comparison but they're still great <laughs> if your filmmaking books was rebel without a crew one of them in your collection oh absolutely oh. i have to give robert rodriguez some shout outs as well 100 percent I love that he put himself literally through medical wayfare, became a rat himself yeah. to test on so that he could go shoot something by himself. I love that story. What's crazy is now because of the digital revolution, he wouldn't need to do that. I know. I know. <laughs> it's so true. And that's, man, that's actually one of the reasons why we're talking today is actually largely because of this digital revolution and, and a theme that I'm very interested in. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that we're at this point now in which, you know, we can conduct a podcast in New Jersey, West Texas, and Central Texas, and all hang out in the space together. But the prolification of this media and the ability of us to access it at any point, anywhere, anytime, and and potentialize off of it, I think is changing the face of our genre in filmmaking. Amen. To oh, that. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and everything's changing so rapidly too. The, the things that were in even a year ago is kind of passe now. Yeah. Um, you know, talk, talk a little bit. Well, okay. Actually the first, when was, when, is there a particular moment um, that you knew 
you wanted to be a filmmaker? Like, like, did you watch a particular scene or see a particular movie? It just, was there a moment that it just clicked? You know, yes. And it goes back to the traveling to New Zealand and Australia. It's a, do you want the long or the short version? Because <laughs> the short version's long. <laughs> yeah, short, yeah, give us a short version. I'll yeah. give you the short version. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you back on for the long version. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is I'm about 19, 18, 19 year old backpacking with my home on my back. I arrive in Australia and decide to take a three-day train from Sydney to Perth, the eastern coast to the western coast. Lo and behold, I'm sitting on this train, excited to see who my partner will be, and the hot girl looks up into my car, and I'm like, yes, yes, hopefully okay. she sits Before next to me. Before sunshine's nope. going to happen, awesome. Nope, nope, not her. <laughs> then a guy with a guitar walks past. I'm excited, oh, he's a musician. Nope. The, the homeless person sits next to me who smells like death. And so... Because of that fact, I spent the rest of the train ride walking around the train making friends with people. On the second day, I meet a train conductor in the drink cart who offers me a free whiskey. I sit down, we're having a chat, and he was this wild character who had done about 100 things with his life. He never stuck to one thing. And he told me that stuck with my mind, he's like, mate, it's not what you do, it's the people you do it with. Who do you want to tell jokes with? Who do you want to endure failure with? Who do you want to enjoy success with? Which planted a seed. The next morning, I'm walking the, the, the train carts, and I see a guy that looks a lot like Heath Ledger, almost identical. Whoa. I walk up to this guy, and I'm like, you know, I just have to say, like, are you, you're not Heath Ledger, are you? And, and he's like, no, my, you know, he was my cousin. Whoa. And I'm like, wait, what? What do you mean, what? And I, again, I've been backpacking and kind of all oh. out of the loop. Oh. He had just passed away and he was probably one of my favorite actors of all time. I, I would say, you know, his, his role as the Joker was a crazy story, but brilliant. Uh, and, and even his other films, you know, A, a Night's Tale. Lords of Dogtown is still my oh favorite my performance yeah. of his. Yeah. But the Joker to me, that's for the tourist. Oh yeah. Oh, the yeah. real fans know Candy and Lords of Dogtown are oh, amazing. Oh man, yes. A hundred percent. And, and I have to add a Knight's Tale. I actually really like yeah, the Yeah, that was another good one, yeah. <laughs> or 10 Things I Hate About You. I didn't <laughs> like that one too much. <laughs> anyway, I, uh, he told me he was on, they were arriving that day in Perth, his hometown, for his public funeral. Mm. And so I, I ended up making friends with this. His cousin and his aunt was there as well. They invited me to go with them to this funeral. So I, of course, upset, except I have nothing to do in Perth when I arrive. I show up, and it's, it's a pandemonium of, of emotion. I look to my right. I'm sitting in the second row at his public funeral of about 2,000 people. And there's – sorry, it just started raining, which is that, that – uh, and there's, this is really emotional change. There's, it's raining in my actual life. And then in this story, it was also kind of <laughs> raining emotionally. <laughs> but I, I show up. And to, again, his mates were getting drunk, pissed to my right. And I looked to my left and there's a woman laying down with her child, just weeping. And I'm sitting on the second row with his family and his extended family at this experience and realized at that moment that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to affect people in this way. That I really wanted to, to apply myself and tell a story 
in a way that caused people to cry or laugh or cheer. And that, I think, was this, the moment when I decided that I was going to go back to college and study film. Wow. That is one of the most interesting stories we've heard about anyone. This, well, I always like to say it's when you realized film was calling you. Yeah. Because no one in their right mind would wake up and go, you know what? I want to be a filmmaker. I want to have everyone turn their back on me, say they're going to help, but not. And no one in my family believe in me. Yeah, that's what I want to do. It's like being willingly admitting yourself to an insane asylum. Exactly, yeah. Every day. Every day. Uh, um, Talk a little bit about... um, because, you know, we've had some uh, filmmakers on here and, you know, uh, everybody thinks outside of the business that, oh, you're a filmmaker. Oh, wow, man, you must you must make a lot of money or how many movies have you done and this and that and the other thing. Talk a little bit about yeah, some Larry, of the projects. Cut you off that and you get, hey, you know what I always thought would make a great movie? Yeah. <laughs> and it always ends up being like. It's about a guy who has a sandwich shop and, you know, they have a sandwich shop. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So two prong (laughs) question here. I don't know how to answer it uh, and do it justice, but the day to day is it's a hustle, man. It's, it's a constant struggle. And a lot of it's unfortunately, you know, a lot of it is, rejection and and, but it's those few moments when you don't you know you fail and fail and fail continuously as a filmmaker especially as a documentary filmmaker i taught myself a lot of what i do and i really fell a lot you know i i had to get up so many times and constantly still do especially in in the world that we live in as filmmakers there you have to constantly evolve and change and so that that moment between you're you're dealing with with struggle. And so, man, the day-to-day as a filmmaker, I balance commercials and real estate videos and pitching on multiple TV shows and trying to go out to investors for indie features. And, and it's, it's a constant uh, balancing act, I would say. There's spinning plates in the air. And, and the key, I guess, on my end is, is keeping each one of those plates spinning, even just a little bit each day, even if it's just one email or one phone call, or 20 minutes of compiling a time-lapse for another video. Um, it's, it's constantly pushing those balls forward, but also not being uh, too good or too, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's not being willing to do any type of content. So I get it, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that in the world that we live in today, you have to be willing to do you know, dive into a music video if someone calls you and wants you to shoot something or, or, or do a real estate video and really get into like shooting landscapes, <laughs> even if there isn't a story written for them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and, you know, that, that's part of it too, man, is really being in the moment with everything. Um, as a filmmaker, I think you have to kind of be in the moment because if you're not, you just kind of get lost. But like, you know, Hey everybody, Eric Kasloff here. Just want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible.com has more audiobooks than I could count. And they're going to give you a free 30-day trial. 
all you got to do is click the link in the description or go to the URL audibletrial.com slash something something and you get your very own free audiobook. You know, really, having, having said all that, Chris, it's really all about, you know, being creative. And I think it, you can enjoy being creative where you are and shooting the real estate videos and, and music videos and everything because it all comes down to projects like your documentary, your short film um, that you did. Uh, I, I'm particularly excited. I know Eric is, is kind of stoked. You know, because yeah. um, you got to meet, uh, I mean, you got to meet a true artist and a, a craftsman. Um, talk, tell us a little bit about your uh, documentary you did. Um, yeah. So thank you so much for, for watching it and, and the kind words. Uh, I was approached by Dave Torje to craft a meaningful story about John Van Hammersfeld. And this was many years ago. And, and this is a perfect example. Now, of, for people who don't know who he is, can you explain a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So John Van Hammersfeld is a legendary graphic design artist of the 70s, 80s into today who's continuously managed to evolve in the way that he works and designs. He's done album covers for the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Jimi Hendrix, Cream. He's done many iconic images that you've seen maybe if you live in California. Um, uh, there's, he's responsible, his biggest claim to fame is the Endless Summer posters, one of the first neon day glow posters with the silhouetted surfer. Uh, now that's for the original or the sequel also. Uh, for the original, and I believe he did the sequel as well. Uh, but the the most of he was basically the the iconic image for the surf culture when that movie came out, and a big reason why surf culture actually was was able to travel and expand uh, to the western east coasts of America and beyond. Uh, but that's that image in particular the Endless Summer original, the first movie poster. And then I would probably uh, give the, the Jimi Hendrix album cover his second uh, most famous kind of art image. Uh, but yeah, he, he's basically one of these people who is, uh, is little people know, few people know about him, but he's pretty much touched most people's lives in one way or another. Or you've seen one of his images growing up in the world that we live in, especially in the digital age. <laughs> but we were tasked, I was tasked with crafting a meaningful story about his life and using his, his story and his trajectory as an artist to, to make a larger story about the idea of what does it mean to be an artist and not give up on your art? Mm. What does it mean to understand the path of an artist, which we perilously walk and, and find inspiration in, in, in a resilient age of digital de democratization, where anyone with a smartphone can potentially be a creator or insatiable consumer? So we, we used him and his life and stories and history as an artist to hopefully portray the idea of, of, of being an artist in today's climate. Uh, and, and again, the, the hopeful idea, and, and the, I, I don't know if it does come across, and I, I sincerely hope that Dave, Torje, and I were, were able to do that together. We, we collaborated very closely on this in, in giving a message of hope, in, in showing that, that you can't give up on your art. Uh, and if you do continue to, to, 
to try to achieve something with your art, you will, you know, you will manifest something eventually. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, but I have to give some big shout outs as well to my, to my kind of chief collaborator, Dave Torger, who I already mentioned. And then my, my partner, Andrew Van Wyk, he, he's uh, the writer on it. And he, as well, uh, Ariana Caprodi and Adam Coot, our editor. And uh, Ariana was one of our producers on it. It was, it was truly a, a group collaboration and, and a project that in the creation of was also indicative of the subject genre in that all of us were balancing multiple hats and doing things and supporting each other in ways that your typical roles on a, a project may not. Um, so yeah, I, I was, it, it was a, a three year endeavor that we're wow. very pleased to share with the, the greater community. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, where now I, I, is it available to, to watch, to look at, where can we find it? So currently we, it's under wraps because we're doing a festival tour at the moment. We had our world premiere at Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Very cool. And then we recently showed at Venice Film Festival and we were in uh, Florida's Miami's Film Festival. And then we are hearing back from a couple others soon. So keep fingers crossed, please. But uh, yes. we are, we're hoping to, to show it a couple other places. And who knows, we, we might garner enough interest to, to make it into a longer project, uh, you know, a feature. I, cool. I would love to do that, but uh, you know we're we're gonna see kind of how it how it plays and and see how people like it and then go from there. Very cool. Now um, let's talk a little bit because uh, I know you got you're working on some other stuff, and I, I really, man, I I, I want to talk to you about like your VR stuff because uh, that's like cutting edge stuff, man. But I do want to talk about real quick, um, because you're on the festival circuit, you know, um, talk a little bit about what, what it was like, um, going through that process because, you know, a lot of people like they, they're working on projects, people that listen to the show, hopefully are, are inspired enough to pick up the camera and, and do their own thing. But, uh, can you talk a little bit about the uh, the process for the film festivals? Absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> it was a, another team effort. Uh, we have several people kind of supporting and, and assisting in that process, or at least me directly. But I have got, undergone several film festival submissions and runs. And from my experience, what I would advise and, and what I think is, is useful is, is really doing your research on the various uh, festivals that you're submitting to and really being careful about which of them you are uh, approaching and, and really trying to do your due diligence. You know, some festivals love art house films. Some of them love horror thriller, you know, really make sure that you're putting your best foot forward in terms of the genre of the festival you're approaching. Uh, I do think there's something to be said about, you know, casting a wide net, but sometimes casting a smaller net to a really specified group of festivals is far more successful. And so for this film in particular, as like an art house short, it's, we, we, we did want to try and get one of the big five festivals, but we were really trying to, to keep our efforts uh, hyper focused on uh, festival drawings that appreciate documentaries, A, and B, that uh, have an interesting subject matter in art. 
Very you know, cool. Very cool. Yeah. That makes sense what you said, because a lot of times people will just submit to every festival there is, and it could be one that hates their kind of film, like what her name was Samantha, my short horror movie, my co-producer for a little bit was thinking about submitting it to a Christian film festival. <laughs> the only, pretty much one of the only spoken lines in the movie is, I put you in the hands of God. And I had to explain to him, you know, I'm a church going guy and no one in that festival would want to see that movie. <laughs> yeah. you know that, that that you know that's the thing eric and i were talking a, a couple podcast shows uh back and and even uh, the top of the show here but um about then there really is something to be said about submitting to the the smaller film festivals whether you have a a, a film or a script like you know, like, like both you guys, uh, Eric is, is uh, submitted to film festivals, the smaller ones, um, because of, you know, I, I, I think it's a great opportunity because not many people think about the small stuff, uh, you know, unfortunately. Absolutely. Um, you no. Know, and, and to that specific point, uh, I a hundred percent agree in that sometimes locating a really, you know, audacious small fest that loves sci-fi and, and you submit a script that's sci-fi oriented and it has a historical relevance and it's based on something that's sci-fi but also history you know sometimes you might get an award and then that's that festival is behind you and helping you push that to other festivals so. exactly and when it comes to trying to get you know funding if you're doing a short to make a feature and you got those festival lures people aren't going to care how big it is they're just going to see oh wow you were in the upstairs from Bennigan's film festival that's really cool <laughs> 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 yeah well but 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 in all but in all seriousness yes you know it it makes a big difference those having those laurels at any festival is still you know draws people's eye <laughs> uh, talk a little bit like I just want to apologize what? to the people who run the upstairs from Bennigan's film festival <laughs> You guys have amazing fried shrimp, and I'm sure the movies that play there are awesome. But still, go screw yourself, Southern Southern Shorts Festival. Really? Oh, don't even, don't even start, don't even get me started. I feel like we're opening a can of worms. We don't. Oh, I tell you, oh, no, oh, damn, it's a fight. Well, we'll talk about it after the show. We'll talk. No, we gotta <laughs> talk about it right now. We gotta get it off our chest. Okay, so here's. With the Southern Shorts Film Festival. Okay, so Eric, let, let me handle this, Chris. No, I got okay. I Because I, I like doing the, how much did you, would you, let's say you make a short film and you drop $3,000 on, you know, rough estimate, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and let's say you submit to this festival and win and they give you your trophy. You'd be really happy, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, how would you feel if I told you for a hundred bucks, I could get that same trophy made and have my name and movie put with the same year you won yours for a hundred dollars. I could have the same award you got that cost you a lot of money, time and effort. <laughs> 
It sounds devious. Yeah, that's oh. what these guys do. Oh, no. So, so thanks to the Southern Shorts Film Festival, I have four awards sitting on my mantle. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not even written yet, but I won Best Picture and Best Director. I feel like this is a really bad Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> Like, I feel like the escalators are finally stairs and we're just walking on them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Horrible, I tell you. I, I just, uh, hey, Chris, yeah. as we're getting closer to the end of the show, there's something we haven't done in a while, but we're going to oh, do with you. It's called Pitch That Movie. Bum, bum, bum. Will you like to explain how Pitch That Movie goes? Uh-oh. <laughs> well, okay, so... Uh, how good are you at improv, Chris? Uh, terrible. Actually, well, not good. <laughs> good. Well, that's good because we're going to have a lot of fun. Because we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make up a movie right here on the spot. We're going to pick the genre. We're going to uh, cast the, uh, the characters with, um, with notable actors, right? Somebody that, that we want to see. Uh -huh. And the movie will come out. Uh, December twentieth, two thousand and nineteen, the same day as the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> I thought, I thought no it was pressure. Blaster Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. Okay. But, okay. I, I think but, I got it. Yeah, we're gonna do the whole movie right now. From All beginning, right. middle, and end. Oh, and one of the rules is Ed Harris and Lindsay Lohan must have a role in it. Oh, yeah. no. I happen to know her personally and him. Really? No. Perfect. <laughs> oh, because I was jealous when you said Lindsay Lohan because she is my biggest celebrity crush. <laughs> okay, as long as Javier Bardem can be our antagonist, I'm happy. Oh, yeah, oh, perfect. Totally. totally. We absolutely. Can get okay, okay absolutely. so what is our genre? Oh, let's go with sci-fi. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. Okay, great. <laughs> now, are we doing hard sci-fi like Star Wars or gritty like Blade Runner? Let's do gritty. Let's do a Blade Runner-esque. Okay, okay, good, okay. good. Now, Larry, take us there. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> we open in pitch black. All of a sudden, we hear street noises. And we see faint in and out vision, blurry vision. As, as the scene progresses, there's focus. And it comes down to a woman laying right on a table. <laughs> OK. Yeah. Her, she's going through contractions. Okay. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We okay. see her hand grip the edge of the table. We see the sweat beating on her on her face, but we don't hear her screaming. We see her face screaming, but all we hear is a heartbeat. Ooh. Okay. And as the camera as the camera pulls up, as the camera uh, backs out or cranes up from her face, we see these what, look. <laughs> what? 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 An egg comes out of her. <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> now, outside of this building, there is an army of people trying to break in. Oh, nice. Yes. Oh, good. This is like the raid, but there's a woman they're trying to get to. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love this. So they're all in different, uh, they're all, they're of worldly attire from, from no distinct region. They're exactly. all naked. They're, it's intercut though with this giant egg that's being brought up closer to camera. Now is Lindsay Lohan the one who laid the egg? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Awesome. Of course. Now, what we don't know is that Lindsay Lohan is the last of a race of super intelligent people, and this, and she's about to die. And this egg is her is the last person in their race. But but the catch the catch of that that race is that she's actually AI and human. Oh. So she's a okay. crossbreed, right? I think that that's the beauty of this last egg is it's one of the only ever, or maybe it's the first. I think it's actually the first. Okay, that's even better. Okay. Yeah, but, but that's a current zeitgeist. But here's the kicker. That egg, that egg has to be brought up. And when Lindsay Lohan dies, Ed Harris steps in. <laughs> He's the last programmer for Lindsay Lohan, that AI, she's like a, she's like a, she's like a, 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 a PC. She needs to be updated, but there's no more updates. <laughs> Correct. Right. Correct. But, but Ed Harris, he's the only one that knows how to bridge that gap between Lindsay Lohan, who's dying and is the last of the AI and to bridge that gap into the egg. <laughs> But the key is when the egg doesn't actually crack. And so when Ed Harris inputs a certain code, it actually just opens. Oh. The egg's perfectly open to reveal Javier Bardem. I was, yes! <laughs> okay. Yes! As a baby. <laughs> a baby with, with his face. It's a baby with a man face. But his head? <laughs> or just something. Uh, yes, this is exactly right. With like the long hair look too. Oh, oh like a baby having your head with long hair. These <laughs> <laughs> AI eggs, man, they they grow premature hair. Uh, but but his eyes. The key is that his eyes aren't. The, he looks just like Javier Bardem, but his eyes. When we look into his eyes, he downloads all the information. It's not a real eye. Oh. Okay. Oh, that's good. That's good. Okay, so now we need our – that's our first act. What's the second? Now, again, that whole thing, that's going to take a while. You know, we're going to get flashbacks and everything. So now we're in our second act. We're getting close to the end. What happens? So the, the uh, well, we've skipped, you know, the protagonist's uh, rise and, and, and decision. But I think that there has to be something to do with this out, these outside characters of no regional descent trying to get to this AI. And so I'm going to let Larry take it from here. <laughs> well, it, it's funny that you say that because who shows up? Penelope Cruz. <laughs> Out of, you know, there, everybody, everybody doesn't know what's going on with this egg. Everybody's scared. They don't know what to do. They, Lindsay Lohan was the end of, of almost the master race, as, as it were. And they need this egg. So Penelope Cruz 
we find out that she was adopted by Lindsay Lohan. Ah, yes. She was adopted. But now all of a sudden we find out that not only was she adopted, but she had a brother that was separated from her. Mm. And Harrison Ford. I was about to say that because that's why our movie ties into Blade Runner. That's perfect. That's but see, this is the older Harrison Ford. This yeah. is the this is this is uh, you know like like Raiders Indiana of the Last Turns fourteen. Yeah, right, Nine. right, fourteen. Yeah, right, <laughs> and and she's just so brokenhearted. Because number one, her 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 Lindsay Lohan is dying, but she and every time she every as Lindsay Lohan dies, Penelope Cruz her life it's like life it flows out of her body, so she's dying as well. Mm-hmm. And Harrison Ford, who's the the stepbrother, he's the one leading this outside intergalactic race that's trying to stop the, the, this uh, Javier Bardem baby from mm-hmm. entering the world. Yes. <laughs> so it's old family feud, feud there. <laughs> um, oh, that's so good. Lannister's all over again. <laughs> that's awesome. Good. That's good. That's good. Okay. But, what's but, our ending? I think it has to do with the clash between, you know, what happens in my mind's eye, I see Harrison Ford in all of his gray glory, (laughs) just, just commanding with a cape, his, his outside intergalactic forces against Penelope Cruz. But what she has is this now adolescent Javier Bardem with laser beam eyes that can scorch any ground. (laughs) <laughs> I can hear the music now. And is that our ending? No. No. I don't think so. There yet, Eric. Okay, okay. I don't think so. I don't think so. And you know, I don't think I I almost think this is almost like a trilogy. It it, it has to be a trilogy because, you know, that we're not even part of the way to Mount Mordor. You know, we're, we're just, we're barely there. You know, we we're just, just we're, we're still in the Shire. Yeah, we haven't even we're, met Javier Bardem's second brother. Right. Oh, what? Yeah, there's He's another got... Harrison Ford, the younger. Oh, my God. We're going to use that de-aging stuff they did in Tron Legacy, right? <laughs> oh yes yes and, and lo and behold tom cruise is his like jedi master that's been training him so he's and like he, and tom cruise is the leader of this really weird religion that's totally <laughs> acceptable and cool and allowed to believe what they want that believes aliens are in our bodies and again it's totally cool and they could believe whatever they want <laughs> eric that's really good man i you know Oh, unfortunately, there's nothing out there like that. But that was really good. That was really creative. I like that. It was really good. You're thinking outside the box. Uh, This this episode was hosted by John Smith. The other host is John Smith, and the guest is John Smith. (laughs) I'm Alan Smithy. 
Directed by, written by. Right, exactly, exactly. So, okay, so we got it. How do, how do we end this three-part series, but it's only part one? How, what's a good way to end it? Do we find out that Harrison Ford is like a younger version of himself and he's got a brother and, and this twisted Tom Cruise is, is sitting and he's like, it's a puppet or something, it's a puppet master. He, he kind of is, I think what we, yeah, you know, uh, what I see is kind of these clashing of, cl- of titans, this introduction of, of Tom Cruise coming in with his followers from this weird special religion that Eric just thought of. <laughs> Uh, and it's totally of, okay that they believe that it's totally yeah. good <laughs> and it's totally fair and like respectable but they they're actually the saviors for our young javier bardem and penelope cruz because oh. they act as a way to offset this 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 uh this intergalactic force that's that's threatening to kill the last and first human cyborg ai mm. Mm. And right before it ends, right before we cut to black, we hear footsteps, heels clicking on the ground. We've we've heard, we've heard about, yes, Tom Cruise is the puppet master, but who was over Tom Cruise? Click, clack, click, clack, click, clack. The door opens. And it's Jennifer Lopez. Yeah. <laughs> and it cuts to black. Well, you see, now because she's in it, I can't be part of the movie. No, oh. Eric. Okay. So, you know what? I'm willing to put my dislike of her on the side. Okay. She can be in the movie. Okay, good. Because Christopher, the last couple of shows, he has done nothing but rage on, on Jennifer Lopez. And I'm trying to tell him, we have got to keep, we've got to keep Jennifer, we got to keep J-Lo on our side because and if I just want to come say, on the show. <laughs> okay, and now Mr. Kaz Harari of Sony Pictures, that is the story we came up with while you gave us time in your really nice cabin. We're sorry. <laughs> usually the, the way we start this off is we pick a head of a major studio. And the whole joke is he's given us a night to come up with something. And we did nothing but drink. Uh-oh. <laughs> and we're supposed to just pitch a movie to him. But, man, that was fun. And we got to have you back on yeah. to complete the trilogy. Hey, guys, it's so much fun to greet. Thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Chris, all of your, like, you know, social media webpage and stuff like that will be in the description of this video. It was such a blast to have you on, man. Hey, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you you hanging out and, and, uh, and chatting with me, and I look forward to continuing our trilogy sometime soon. Awesome, Excellent. man. And and anything anything you want to uh, talk about or you got coming up, um, please give us a shout out and we'd love to have you back on the show and 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 talk to you some more for yeah, sure. If you want to come back on and, you know, rank the Star Wars movies with us, that would be awesome. <laughs> Ooh, I might have cool. to be back next week. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, everybody, remember, always be excellent to each other.